0: not real sure about this banquet this year when I heard December the 7th December the 7th is Pearl Harbor Day right and that's not exactly a wonderful day for the United States because that Pearl Harbor Day is when the Japanese attacked the U.S. Navy base at Pearl Harbor in Hawaii and that's when the U.S. entered World War II so it's The president at the time said it's a day that will be remembered in infamy. Infamy means a disaster uh, uh, because it was a surprise attack and the United States was not expecting it, although they probably should have been expecting it based on a lot of things that happened. But anyway, Pearl Harbor Day is now Banquet Day, so I guess we'll go with that one. I'm going to sort of be going around in circles a little bit this morning because that's the way this week has been. (laughs) But one of the things that uh, I was thinking about is uh, taxonomy is the science of classifications where you decide what particular group different animals or plants belong to what genus? What family? What uh, all of the sort of thing? But um, man has sort of been in a subclassification of what's commonly been called Homo sapiens. And the more I think about this, the more I think it needs to be changed because Homo sapiens is a, a Latin term and what it means. The the word homo means man. And sapiens means wise or intelligent. And the more I look at the news these days, I go, this is not an accurate uh, description of man anymore because we're not wise and we're not intelligent. We're foolish. We're crazy. We have lost whatever intelligence or wisdom we ever, if we ever had it that we don't seem to have it anymore but then if you think about the providence of God and providence comes from another Latin word everything comes from Latin if it's in medicine if it's in theology or anything else providence comes from two Latin words pro and vide and pro means before and v-day means to see and it means God sees everything before it happens and he controls everything so it's the providence of God that's if the word's not used the concept is all the way through scripture God sees before it happens he knows what's happened because he made it the beginning to the middle to the end so obviously he knows what's going to happen because he made it he controls it he sees it he knows it it's not like he looks ahead and sees what's going to happen and has to adjust things to fit what he sees because he already knows it it happens because he says it's going to happen and one of the things that that was jumping out at me when I was thinking about this Concept of providence comes from the book of Esther, <coughs> and I'm not going to read it. But in case you don't know it, or you're only with slightly familiar with it, the Jews were in captivity in Persia. They had been. Um, Conquered earlier by the Babylonians and then the Persians conquered the Babylonians and a large population of the Jews lived in Persia. And at the time that the book of Esther is written, um, again there's a large contingent of Jews living in the different areas, the different lands that Persia occupied. And you've got a Persian king and the Persian king has absolute total authority you don't tell the Persian king no because your life is at stake well has a queen that during a banquet probably drunken banquet he orders the queen to come and the queen refuses and so he asks his nobleman what should I do And it's a wonder that he didn't have her killed outright but they said don't let her ever come into your presence again and so he says that's a good idea and he banishes her and so then a call goes out to bring some of the most beautiful young women of the kingdom before him and one of them happens to be Esther and she's the daughter of another prominent person in this story called Mordecai Or she's not the daughter, she is actually the niece because it's her uncle. But nevertheless, she comes before the king along with a lot of others and she's beautiful and he picks her to be his new queen. There's also a man in the story called Haman who hates the Jews. He doesn't know that Esther is a Jew, but he hates the Jews and he hates Mordecai, Esther's uncle, because he's a prominent Jew and he will not recognize Haman as the wonderful man that Haman thinks he is and Haman gains the approval of the king and a lot of things and the story progresses anyway Haman schemes to kill Mordecai and all the Jews and the king says whatever you want to do is okay in the midst of all of this Mordecai tells Esther he can't actually see Esther but through another person because he's not allowed to come into the king's court he tells her what's going to happen that this decree is going out to kill all the Jews and that she needs to see the king and and prevent this and she gets word back to him I can't do this because no one is allowed to come into the king's presence unless the king authorizes it. So the king has to send for me, because if I go in and he hasn't sent me, my life could be at stake. Because you're not allowed to do this. The only person that might live is if the king decides that it's okay and he extends his scepter, which is his reigning rod, out to show favor then you're okay but most people you're going to die if you do this unless he calls you first and what Mordecai says in response to this it says when Esther's words were reported to Mordecai he sent back this answer do not think because you are in the king's house you alone of all the Jews will escape. For if you remain silent at this time, relief and deliverance for the Jews will still arise from another place. But you and your father's family will perish. You will die. And who knows but that you have come to a royal position For such a time as this. Then Esther said to Mordecai Go, gather all the Jews who are in Susa, which is the capital city, and fast for me. Do not eat or drink for three days, night or day. I and my maids will fast as you do. When this is done, I will go to the king, even though it is against the law. And if I die, I die. And like Esther, during increasingly perilous times, such as today, it seems that the whole Western Hemisphere has gone insane. With each new thought, every statement that comes out, it seems that they make less and less sense. Things that they say one day are even more ridiculous than what they said before. But because God is sovereign, because his providence determines what's going to happen, who knows but that maybe we're living for such a time as this. God knows when we were going to be born. He knows who's alive right now. He knows who his people are. And who knows but that we are here for such a time as this. We better be praying. We better be sober and sensitive because this is not an isolated incident. Nothing in Scripture is an isolated incident. He's calling his people to be the same now as he called his Jewish people to pray and fast because the Jews were getting ready to be exterminated. And because the king received Esther and because he found out about the plot against the Jews, the Jews were not killed and they were coming up to the last minute of being killed throughout the whole land of Persia, all the places that Persia controlled. And instead, Haman, who wanted the Jews to be killed, was hanged instead. And this is where the Jewish feast of Purim came from. It's a day of celebrating the killing of Haman and the the liberation of the Jews. But who knows whether you and me and everybody else that knows the Lord, that we are not here for such a time as this. And I think it's a sobering thought that we really need to examine and be aware of. And now my thoughts wandered again. But, although you don't find the word providence very much in scripture you find the concept there all the time and it what it means is that care and the watching over and and the superintendence if you want to use that word that god exercises over all of his creatures and over all creations he's not a god that's absent he's a god that cares he's a god that watches he's a god that knows (coughs) And he's a God that wants us to be aware of these things and to plan our lives accordingly. So what about the future? First, prayer, first Peter 1, 2 says that these things happen according to the foreknowledge of God the Father. According to the foreknowledge, knowing before what's going to happen. He says he's called us, and and the words to be saved are used in different ways in Scripture. They're used in a past tense, a future tense, a present tense, about six different ways. But it tells us that we were saved in the mind of God before the world was ever created. Now, who can know this? Only God. Before centuries, thousands of years before you were born, God knew who was going to be His. Now, hard thing to understand, but what Scripture teaches is part of the sovereignty of God. Sovereignty means God rules. He is in charge. There is not a single molecule that does anything apart from what God says. So if you think you're in deep trouble, and God, nobody hears me, nobody knows, God knew before the world was ever created what you're going through, what's happening, and he's calling you to be aware of it, he's calling me to be aware of it, and he's calling us to act accordingly in faith, in trust. Peter says, and that's where I'm going to be over the next few times in 1 Peter. He talks about a living hope. And there's a difference between a living hope and a dead hope. And if you don't know the Lord, any hope you've got is a dead hope. Because it's based on wishful thinking. It means, I hope things will turn out well. I don't know that they're going to, but... This is what I would like to happen and maybe if we just think hard or work hard it's going to turn out just right. Well, that's not true because the things you're putting your hope in don't have any future. They're going to evaporate. They're going to disappear. Eventually, maybe quickly. But whether you put your faith in your work, whether you put your faith in money, whether you put it in fame, whatever, it's going to disappear. But a living hope is based on a living God and on His promises. And He says that these things, that you can trust Him because He's never failed and never will, it's a living hope based on what? Peter says it's based on the resurrection of Jesus from the dead. That's what it's based on. It's based on something that's absolutely true forever for everybody that believes. So you believe in Christ, you trust Christ, you have a living hope that's permanent. It'll never disappear, it's always with you. And nobody pretends that they're not hardships. Nobody says you're supposed to be happy when the roof's falling on your head. But you have a trust that in this fallen world, grief, sadness, and hardships are temporary. Now, they may be temporary for a day, and they may be temporary for 20 years, but they're going to come to an end. But your living hope is never going to come to an end, because it's eternity. Because God says so. He promises and he gives... The raising of Jesus from the dead is an absolute cornerstone. If this is certain and that it's true and that you can rejoice in it. The loving God that's revealed in Scripture knows every need, every fear better than we do because He's the Lord that made it and He's the Lord that controls it. Look at the first two verses in First Peter. But first, just a, a background of Peter that you already know. And Peter got thirsty too. <clears throat> Peter is one of the main figures in the early part of the book of Acts because of the work of the Holy Spirit through him. Obviously, he's a major disciple of Jesus. But in the book of Acts, the first third of the book of Acts, he's the prominent figure. And he's the one that speaks on the day of Pentecost. He's the day that he sees thousands and thousands of people Converted to the Lord because of what the Holy Spirit is doing in him through him and of the other apostles, and he's the main spokesman. He's the one that when Jesus talked to his disciples, Jesus says, Who do the people say that I am? And some of they said, Well, some of the people say you're a prophet, some people say you're Elijah. Come back to life. Some people say you're Jeremiah. Some people say you're John the Baptist. John the Baptist has been beheaded and they are saying that you've come back to life. And then Jesus says, but who do you say I am? And Peter says, you are the Christ, the Son of the living God. And Jesus says, Peter, the only reason you know this is because my Father has revealed it to you. So he revealed it to Peter first. And then doesn't last long because when Jesus says I'm going to go and I'm going to die Peter says no way not you Lord you're not going to die and so what does Jesus say to Peter Says Peter get behind me because you're speaking from the devil because the devil does not want Jesus to die on the cross Jesus had already confronted Satan in the wilderness but Satan never goes away he always comes back he finds a more opportune time to try to disrupt what God is doing it's always man's way and Satan's but not God's Peter and all the rest of the disciples were expecting a Messiah that was going to be a military conqueror get rid of the Romans and restore Israel to their proper place in the world a place where they were their own master. But that's not what Jesus intended to happen. And then at the trial of Jesus, you see Peter following Jesus from afar. And Calvin says that any man who is not supported by the hand of God will instantly fall by a slight gale or the rustling of a falling leaf. So anybody that's falling, God. That's not supported by the hand of God. You're going to fall apart. You won't last. So unless the spirit of God is truly. Guiding you and leading you. You think you're going to be strong when persecution comes. But scripture says you won't be. Unless you're trusting God because you will get afraid, you will be fearful, and you'll run the other way. And that's what they all did. Jude 24 says, Now to him who is able to keep you from stumbling and to make you stand in the presence of his glory, blameless with great joy the only God our Savior, through Jesus Christ our Lord, be glory, majesty, dominion, and authority before all time and now and forever. I want to look at a couple of verses, just briefly, in First Peter. And again, I'd like to look at the whole book a little bit later. The first two verses in First Peter say, Peter, an apostle of Jesus Christ, to those who reside as aliens, scattered throughout Pontus, Galatia, Cappadocia, Asia, and Bithynia who are chosen according to the foreknowledge of God the Father by the sanctifying work of the Spirit to obey Jesus Christ and be sprinkled with his blood. May grace and peace (coughs) be yours in the fullest measure. There's a whole lot of difference between reading Scripture and studying scripture. Because you can read these words and have them make very little impression on your heart and mind. But if you study them and read them over and over and over again, you begin to see the power that's in them. First of all, this is a a common greeting that Peter does. What they did at the time, a lot of times if you get a letter and you don't recognize the return address or something like this you may not know who it's from so you look at the very end to see the signature this is not the way they did it in the time of the apostles and before they immediately identified who they were in the very first line of the letter so you know who's writing it and it tells you who who he's writing it to so this is Peter And who is he? He's an apostle of Christ. And he's writing to these aliens. And aliens means people that are in a land that's not their own. So he's writing to the Jews. And he's also writing to the Jews that have been converted. He's writing to Jews that have been, that have accepted Jesus, that have been scattered through all these different countries. And he's saying... Who are chosen. A lot of translations say elect. Who are elect. According to the foreknowledge of God the Father. Chosen. Elect. Same thing. God chose. If you're a Christian. Now. If you're going to be a Christian in the future. It's because God chose you first. You didn't choose him first. He chose you first. He elected you to know who he is. We don't look at it that way. But this is the way God looks at it. If you know him, you were chosen. You were elected before the foundation of the world. You were going to be saved. Right now, You are saved and you're being saved. It's a continuous process. And you will reach your ultimate salvation in heaven when you're glorified. So he's telling these people, you are chosen according to the knowledge that God knows before it ever happens. How? By the setting apart work of the Holy Spirit to obey Jesus Christ and be sprinkled with his blood may grace and peace be yours in the fullest measure these two verses you've got the Trinity you've got the Father the Holy Spirit and the Son right at the very beginning of what Peter writes elect for what What purpose? There are many purposes, but one of the purposes here is you're elected to obedience. It may not be the ultimate purpose of election, but it's what these people needed to know. You are chosen to be obedient to God through the Holy Spirit. And obedience doesn't always show itself in some kind of action of like going out to do this for somebody or doing something else obedience sometimes obedience shows its way or shows itself in things like scripture says what it says search the scriptures are you obedient you're obedient if you search the scriptures it's not an action of going out to to serve a soup kitchen or to take clothing to somebody, but it's obedience to the Scriptures because search the Scriptures is a command and it requires action. It's the the action of being still and reading a book and thinking about it and believing what it says. All of this is obedience. over and over again scripture says God is the king of kings and he has He has control over everything that there is Psalm 47 says God is the king of all the earth it says for the Lord the most high is to be feared a great king over all the earth and the doctrine of providence deals with this it deals with God's Control over all things. Let me read a scripture out of Isaiah to you. It's Isaiah forty six. <clears throat> Isaiah 46, where here, 8, through 11, yeah, 8 through 11, says this Remember this and be assured. Recall it to mind, you transgressors, you sinners. Remember the former things long past, for I am God and there is no other. I am God and there is no one like me. Declaring the end from the beginning. And from ancient times things which have been done. Saying my purpose will be established. And I will accomplish all my good pleasure. Calling a bird of prey from the east. The man of my purpose from a far country. Truly I have spoken. Truly, I will bring it to pass. I have planned it. Surely, I will do it. This is the God of providence. This is the God that controls all things. God sees. God knows. And God is in control of all things. And again, you've got the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit witnessing these things from the very beginning. If we look at the next three verses in 1 Peter 3-5, through it says, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who according to his great mercy has caused us to be born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead, to obtain an inheritance which is imperishable and undefiled and will not fade away, reserved in heaven for you, who are protected by the power of God through faith for a salvation ready to be revealed in the last time. According to his great mercy, he's caused us to be born again. He caused us to be born again. We didn't cause us to be born again. Now, that's about as plain as it can get. I don't know why it should ever be a confused issue, but it is. And how did he do this? By the resurrection of Jesus from the dead. To obtain an inheritance An inheritance is what you leave to your children. God has left this to his children, an inheritance that's imperishable. It cannot die. It can never fade away. It's permanent forever, according to God. Reserved in heaven, who are protected your salvation is protected by the power of god it can never be taken away from you not ever by anybody anytime anywhere it's by the control of god and it's ready to be revealed at the last time the permanency is revealed in heaven by god And again, he, it talks about a living hope that we've talked about. Not a dead hope, but a living hope. It's, a, it's an absolute certainty that your future expectation is a true expectation. It will happen. It's undying. It's permanent. And it's based on the resurrection of Jesus from the dead. And it's according to his great mercy. All of it's based on the initiative of God. It's the same thing that James says. James says in the first chapter, of his own will he brought us, he brought us forth by the word of truth, that we should be a kind of first fruit of his creatures. And John one twelve and 13 read, For as many as received him, to them he gave the right to become children of God, even to those who believe in his name, who were born not of blood, nor of the will of the flesh, nor of the will of man, but of God. Born because of the will of God. In the final analysis, God not only initiates our salvation by initially causing us to be born again, but he keeps his people secure in their salvation by causing us to be born again. It's God who grants us the ability to have faith. And once we exercise that faith, he sustains us And he increases the faith so that those who have truly trusted in Christ alone will never abandon him. He causes us to have the faith that will be constant and secure and forever. He gives the elect the will to cling to him and his elect will always confess him to the end of their lives. He's the one that settles it. He's the one that never abandons us. He's the one that strengthens us, that we can hold on to Him. It's a secure, certain faith forever. And Peter goes on and on that we won't look at now. He says, But the word of the Lord endures forever. It will never cease It will never fade away. It's an absolutely sure thing. And that's what we always need to remember. God never fails. He never abandons His people. It's a living hope. It's a true hope. Let's pray. Lord, help us to be able to read your word And to study your word. Because Lord the more we look at it. The more the words become alive. And the more they become become imprinted in our heart. And if we would read these things again and again. As they slowly make an imprint on our heart. We will never lose them. We will never stumble. We will never fumble away your words. Or think that they mean something different than what you say. So I just ask, Lord, that our hearts would be hearts that are yearning for you, hearts that are embracing what you say and rejoicing in it. And we ask it in the name of Jesus. Amen. Amen.